Jim Derrick, and welcome to another edition of Chapters. Hey, my guest in studio today, I'm excited to welcome Susan Berard Goldberg. Welcome, Sue. Thank you, Jim. Glad to be here. Sue has a new book out. It's My Soul's Journey, and this book is the story of Sue's life, and importantly, you have a near-death experience which has helped form your understanding of your life and put into context a lot of things that have happened absolutely and, and, yes. and what your beliefs are today yes absolutely the story itself is centered on a near-death experience that's not the entirety of the story no it's not um, it, it involves um, without going into great detail because again I want people to read the book mm-hmm. um, but it, it includes um, a nervous breakdown that happened with a particular incident that happened about four years ago in my life. Mm -hmm. And um, and actually, for animal lovers, it involves an animal. This book is dedicated to an animal, or what I call a fur angel. Because of this incident, I... Was I started going to a grief therapist, right. an unbelievable grief therapist by the name of Dr. Susan Berger mm-hmm. out of Framingham. And, and as I said previously, I thought I would be there for a few months, but I ended up being there for two years. Mm-hmm. I think what's important to mention is that if you have um, a grief experience and you have not dealt with it and are healed from it, what I learned is that you have to go back and revisit any other um, grief experiences or experiences of loss. You have to face them. You have to deal with them before you can heal from the others. Mm. So I did spend two years in therapy, and this kind of unlocked the door to my wanting to know more about myself and other things. This uh traumatic experience that you suffered with this um, furry friend, as you say. Uh, This was only four years ago. Yes. And so this came to you relatively late in life. It was an opportunity to learn about the impact of trauma and um, grief and and how to go back and unravel some of the other what may have up up until then been mysteries as to why you were a certain way, but it helped you undo that. Absolutely. And uh, and what I truly believe is that I, I say I didn't I didn't write this story. Mm -hmm. I'm merely telling it because it is the story pretty much of the majority of my life. And I believe it was written by by God. I think he writes all of our stories. On the back of Sue's book, it, it says, my soul's journey is the story of the author's life from childhood to present. It depicts a life of many losses and heartache. The author eventually comes to the realization that life truly is a journey beginning at birth, and that the soul is at the center of the journey. Absolutely. Um, I, I think, who can't relate to what you're saying there? I think nearly everyone can. I, I believe um, that everyone does have a story. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you would, would agree, Jim, you do the show and you talk about people's individual stories. That's why, that's why I, I was inspired to do the show. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, I'm, you know, I think that actually they say, you know, fact is truer than fiction. I think people's stories, the average person's stories are far more interesting mm-hmm. than maybe the ones you see on TV or in the movies. But um, very definitely, I think people have stories, and I, and I would encourage them to tell these stories, um, to unlock them, um, to tell them, and um, if possible, to write them down. 
I want to go to the near-death experience, and we don't want to talk, uh, reveal all the details. It's too important and central to the book, and it's important the reader uh, hear about the near-death experience firsthand while they're reading the book. Mm-hmm. But that aside, you said that it was a full-blown near-death experience, yes. as close as you can come to physically dying. Yeah. Yes, I would say so. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And um, uh, can you talk a little bit about um, what what you saw, what you felt, uh, and how this has changed your frame of mind relative to uh, you know, to death? I'll have to say that, um, and I'm going to be totally honest here, Jim, it really didn't change my feelings about dying or not about faith. I, I'm a cradle Catholic, but yes. I could be a cradle anything, you yeah. know, religion. But um, I, I believe in believed in God. I'll say, and and I always did. There have been times in my life when I've had awful arguments with God, usually on my end, where I'm telling him off and I'm upset with him yeah. and wondering why he's doing certain things. Yeah. That's part of being human. But that shows that I have a relationship with him. I can talk with him. It really didn't change my faith. Did it make it perhaps a little stronger? Perhaps, but it just. Um, it was something that happened to me, part of my life. I've always believed that there was a mastermind creating us, watching us. And, and I, I think what it did for me is it made me truly believe that he's with us all the time. He's never far away. So you felt the presence of God in your life prior to this event. Absolutely. Um, and you're saying that your faith was strong. Yeah. And it was almost, I'm picturing you saying, well, I, I was hoping that was the case, and by gosh, it's right. I was right. Yes, yes. And I, I believe that. I think I, I um, mentioned that. I think I do mention that in the book as well. That it re- And people ask that, no, as you just did. Boy, this must have really made you faithful and really know there is a God and blah, blah, blah. Um, I always believed in God. In my worst moments, I always will. Um, yes, this really adds to it in the sense that... Sure. Um, Jesus was part of my near-death experience. Not everybody has that faith. Not everybody no. believes in God. Right. Um, and some very good people believe in spirituality, but not God. Some are questioning and so on and so forth. Have you found that sharing your story has impacted people relative to their own faith journeys? Well, I can answer that quite easily because, again, this book just came out. Mm-hmm. You're one of the first people to actually be making what it's about public, which is great. I'm, I'm so, so glad. I'm honored. <laughs> and I'm thrilled to be here, as you know. Um, so it's just basically, it's being told now, moving forward. But as I said to you before, when we were talking, um, one of the main reasons I wrote the book was because I've seen people who have moved from faith, didn't have faith, right. or have a diagnosis of, of maybe impending death from a terrible um, disease or whatever. And I felt that if it helped those individuals develop faith, go back to church and give it a second try, or synagogue, give it a second try, or someone who was knew that at some point in the near future they would be leaving this earth, it gave them peace of mind and helped them to know that they're going to a far more wonderful place, um, then it's been worth it. That's why I wrote the book. 
you and I are uh, proud parents. Yes. You have three daughters. I have three daughters. One of them is a veterinarian. Yes. I love animals. I, uh, I would love to have a veterinarian in my they're family. They're the best. Yeah. But um, that said, we both are the proud parents of adult children. Yes. And you, uh, happily, and congratulations, have your first grandson? Grandson. Yeah, yes. Congratulations. Um, so you and I kind of hit it off when we were talking about, uh, off the air, about um uh, our children. Yes. And I look at my son. Um, I'll speak about my son, Michael, who's a wonderful guy. He's, he and I have this conversation about faith a lot. Mm-hmm. And here's what I've told him. I said, you know, Mike, I'm 59 years old. What I've learned over time is that developing faith is important because particularly in the good times, because when you're young and everything's hopefully going along smoothly, that's the time to really work on your faith. A relationship with whatever God it is that you're worshiping, it is a relationship. And you need to start forming that early. It just doesn't happen overnight. It's a conversation. Yes. So why not develop it young? Now, I'm preaching here, but basically that's that's the way I speak to my kids. You have this experience, which you just said, you just shared with your children. Yes, I just shared with my children. Yes. I'm trying to imagine being the adult child, being Sue. Goldberg's daughter and saying, my gosh, mom, you've been holding on to this for that long. This is amazing. Yeah. yeah. What What has that conversation well, been like with the kids? It's been kind of interesting. Um, my, my oldest daughter, who has a great sense of humor, said to me, because I was very young, I was in my early 20s when I had this, and I was engaged to her dad, and she said to me, did you take LSD? And I said, no, I did not take LSD. Believe me. And then another comment I got from two of the three was, you don't mention us in this book, do you? And I said, don't worry. You're referred to as my children. I didn't mention your names. I love these kids. Yeah, so I, do, I do. That's what I that's So they I have said. senses of humor. Oh, yeah, they do. And you know something, Jim? I, there are a lot of young people who have not developed a relationship with God right, or, right. you know, whatever go to church or have a deep faith. But I guess um, my my own three children right now aren't avid churchgoers. But I say if your religion truly at, at, the, at the base of everything is within you, yeah. just yeah. as we say Christ is within us, is within you. If you are a good person, a good spirited person, if you are caring for others, if you have a heart, if you are generous when you're able to be, um, if you wish people well, to me, that's being religious. I I could not agree more. There is an alarming statistic out there. I think it's alarming because it says more. It's not so much about faith to me as it is just community and connection. Yes. I think we're all looking for connection. And yes. um, I see people, myself included at times over, the, over my life, I've been connected to the wrong things. So there's a time when I was connected to material wealth. You know, I'm glad you I, brought that and up. And I thought that that's the only thing I'm living for is to get a bigger house. And once I get the bigger house, I'm going to be really excited. And I can't wait to retire. And everything was living for the future. I wasn't in the present. Yes. To me, that's the wrong connection. And, and the alarming statistic is this, that over the past 20 years, people that consider themselves churchgoers mm-hmm. has gone down by 23%. Yes, yes. And in fact, there is um, one of the missionaries, a priest at the Fatima Shrine, doctor. Of, he's going to become, get his doctorate, Father Carl Chudy, um, has an interfaith dialogue going on yes. and um, has done a lot of research with this. And he claims these young people who have left, the vast majority are not going back, Right, which is... Which is sad. It is. Really sad. Um, 
I don't know what happens. I think if they, again, if we can just remind our young people to live good lives, again, to do good things when they're able to, um, to be kind to one another, um, that's a good start. And I, I always feel this hope. Yeah. There's always hope. You know, Sue, so, so this, this, and I love the way, way you frame this. Um, you just said you had, your faith was developed when you had this near-death experience. You didn't need proof, but you got it. And now you're, I'm really curious as to how a young, relatively young woman, you were a young adult when this happened. Yes. Um, having had this, this near-death experience and, and you haven't shared it with anybody. No one. But yet you're talking to people about your faith because you're active in your church community. You're speaking with priests. And I'm just trying to imagine what that was like. You know, when people say to you, gee, I don't know whether or not there's an afterlife. Yeah. yeah. And you're saying, well, I do. Well, I'll tell you something kind of interesting. I have a couple of friends over the course of the last, let's say, the last 10 years who have gone to um, events where there have been, most of them churches, where there has been someone talking about near-death experiences. Mm-hmm. And and what I would do is say to them, tell me all about it. What did they see? What did they say? Which I think is pretty interesting. It is. I wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't like, well, you know, I, I know all about this or whatever. I didn't divulge it. Uh, just sit there and smirk and kind of be quiet. But I was, I wanted to know what other people said. I'm so glad you said that. Do, did you find the experiences have common themes? Um, some of them do, yes. Not all, however. But the aftermath gives two, at least two major commonalities for those who have had near-death experiences. And that is... Um, well, I'm going to say it, the light, the light, not the light that's hanging above us here, but the light. 99.9% of individuals who have had a near-death experience have experienced the light and talk about it. And the other is um, the rest of their life, they have precognition or certain things that uh, foretell. What is precognition? Because knowing something is going to happen or uh, feeling something is going to happen before it does. And I've had I've had a few that have been pretty amazing. Um, they but they don't ruin my life. And I, I don't want people to. I can't predict the future. I don't want people to say when is my daughter going to get married or when will I inherit Michael's fortune. <laughs> I, gonna, I don't know. I got those a scratch things. card in my pocket. I was going to see if you could read it. <laughs> I don't know those things. Yeah, yeah. But it comes. Uh, these things come in a very subtle way. It's kind of like just thoughts that just come in, and I usually don't think about it very much, but then it will happen. And I'll say, oh my gosh. Um, a couple of them w- have been pretty scary and I don't talk about those. Um, two came in dreams and they did happen. And those are in the book. I did predict exactly, I di- didn't predict. I did experience the exact time my father would pass. Wow. Um, and for me, smells have been more of a major um indication of things that are going to ha- would happen. Interesting. Yeah. So you become what we call a super empath that you're able to kind of or, or no, I should ask you, have you become more empathetic? Have. More empathetic and I I think I try to fill my life um, with people of good, of good character, mm-hmm. if I can say that. Sure. I have inclinations about people, sometimes not until I'm into relationships with them. I try, I try to discard individuals that I feel are not on the same wavelength as me. Um, it, change, it does change your, 
your character. Yeah, does it, yeah. So you say it changes your character. You, it but gives over you time. a different frame of reference, right? Yes, yeah. over time. Yeah. Over time. Yeah. Um, so what can you tell us about death? First of all, I don't believe that we do it alone. I truly do not believe that we do it alone. Um, I believe there is a tunnel that goes from this life to the next. I know there is a tunnel that goes from this to the next. And at some point, there's an opening. Um, You're not seeing with your eyes, but you are aware of everything. You, You don't need your body. You just need what's left of your brain or whatever, because it's still working. And my experience, and I know the experience of thousands or millions of others, because I've read up so extensively on this, is that um, the next world is a very, very beautiful world, and more importantly, the light. I think Matthew said, um, you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Um, those are just a couple of clues of things that I experienced. It's not to be feared. Boy, if, if that doesn't make you want to read My Soul's Journey by Susan Berard Goldberg, and I'll tell you, meeting Sue is is really important. I'd love to read the book alone, but meeting you is the bonus. Thank you so much. And uh, so I want to remind people, October, Friday, October 18th, 7 p.m. at the Fatima Shrine here in uh, Holliston, Massachusetts. Sue is going to be there signing the book, and you'll be able to purchase the book there. But more importantly, or as importantly, you're going to get to meet the author and, ha- author and have this conversation. So what was fascinating to me when we started speaking is that this near-death experience that you had as a young adult stayed locked away with you for many, many years until the writing of this book, which is an amazing thing in and of itself. What what went into you keeping this story quiet? What, what was going on in life that made you keep this story well, quiet? Well, yes, and a, fr- a very close friend of mine said, how did you keep this such a big yeah. secret? I didn't keep it a secret. Um, I knew something had happened, but I didn't know what to call it. Mm-hmm. I didn't want people to make fun of me. Okay. So I didn't I didn't talk about it. At the time it happened, people didn't talk about these things. I right. don't even believe they had put a label on it. Um, but yes, I think that um, you know, as I got as I went through my life, I knew this thing had happened to me. I remembered it vividly. I still do every aspect of it. There seemed to be something missing, and again, the last piece of the puzzle was uncovered not very long ago, like maybe two years ago, two, three years ago, and that's when I sat down and I wrote this story. And I, I want to say this. There were a couple of losses in my life that I do not talk about in this book. Mm-hmm. I talk about a number of them. There are a couple that I don't talk about because I feel there are some things that are so much a part of our being are so precious to us, um, are disturbing to us, that I, we would only want to discuss with our maker. And so there are a couple of losses that I'm not, I did not put in the book. Mm-hmm. I did talk about the death of my first husband, mm-hmm. which obviously was a major, major trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, but with my losses, I, the way I handled them was to not handle them. Put them in the background. Keep moving as at, as at a fast pace, as fast as I possibly could. Just keep going. So I think we all suffer different loss, and I think of one of the things that I've learned is that trauma is relative. In other words, what may be traumatic to me mm-hmm. in the context of my life, another person may say, "Well, that 
that wouldn't impact me. I have a different framework for trauma. So, Absolutely. Um, so I think trauma is relative. I mean, if you take a school kid and they are not invited to sit at a lunch table with their friends, that can be very traumatic oh, in, a, yes. in an 11-year-old's life. But an 18-year-old may say, that, that wouldn't bother me. So it's all relative. Yes. But I, I think rather than focus on the specific trauma that we're talking about, I think what you just said is so important, that you had a, a revelation that like many of us, mm-hmm. you were looking to distract yourself as quickly as possible and move on to the next thing rather than to come to healthy terms yes. with the event or events and the grief, the resulting grief that you were feeling. Yes. What? How, how did that impact you, that that ignoring of all of that? What? 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 How did that express itself in your life? Well, basically, I, I didn't heal the way I should. Yeah. And when I had the um, very traumatic experience with my, my pet, I'm, I'm a huge animal lover. Yeah. Um, I'm the proud mother of a veterinarian, actually. Oh, wonderful. But I'm a big animal lover. My mother grew up on a farm. Uh, all our family were great animal lovers, and my animals are part of my family. I'll just say that when this particular instance our incident happened with this animal all of a sudden I I truly felt like I went into shock I felt like I was I shut down and the words I uttered were I I can't go through this again yeah I literally shut down I can remember the feeling it was I couldn't think straight and then of course I spent an enormous amount of time I I didn't want to leave my house Mm. I couldn't wait to get home when I had to leave my house because I would cry and cry and cry and things got a lot worse before they got better Mm -hmm. and it took a good two years working with a wonderful uh, psychologist um, and also being open to what I wanted to heal but that was the first time that you dealt with trauma and grief in your life with a psychologist right so were you then unbundling did, was part of that work saying, okay, this event happened, but what? let's talk about, for instance, the death of your husband. Let's yes. talk about other losses right. you've had. Is that what happened? Well, I had I had gone to some therapy and brought my children when my, when my husband passed away. They yeah. were all very young. Sure. They were one year old, two, and three and a half. I'm sorry. They were all yeah. young, many, many years ago. And we did get some therapy. But again, I think my focus more was on helping them to get through. Right. And I didn't fully heal from that. I I just wanted to keep going. And I was in a position where I had to keep going because I had three young children and I just kept going, Yeah, working that, and so on and so forth. I, I think that's the I've fallen into that trap myself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that I feel like if if I don't if I stop doing what I'm doing, a I could fall apart. In the context of grief and, and loss, yes. you know, I think, uh, I can't, and if I fall apart, what do my kids do? Yes. What does my wife do? That's right. Um, and the truth of the matter, sad truth of the matter, as I found out as I've aged, is that if you don't stop and deal with it, it gets even worse. Absolutely. Things don't get better with age, do they? It's not like wine. No, it doesn't go away. You right. have to deal with things. Right. You have to completely heal. I think, too, again, at the time when my husband passed away, which was... Um, about nine years after I had this near-death, this amazing experience, yeah. I didn't know it was a near-death experience. It was an amazing experience. When he passed away, again, people didn't want to stop 
as much as they do today and hear what you have to say and hear about your grief. Right. Even my immediate family, it was kind of the situation where, you know, he's gone, you've got to put it to rest, you've got children, move on. Right, move on. Have you moved on yet? Have she gotten over that yet? I mean, you see, say, I used to shudder when I heard yes. somebody say, have you, have they gotten over that yet? And I'm thinking to myself, that's not something you get over. It changes who you are and you learn to incorporate it. But yeah. And, I'm, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because um, what, what I have in the book and what I have learned from my own personal experience is that, unfortunately or fortunately, we grow the most as, as a person when we go through difficult times and loss. Very unfortunate. You might not see it at the time, but down the road, each loss and particularly the death of my, my first husband and so on and so forth, um, I grew tremendously as a person. And at the very end of the book, I use a, I use a poem, and part of it says, um, I'm not everything I want to be, but through the grace of God, I'm not who I was. Something like that. Um, and it's been because of the loss in my life um, I've had to grow. And I've gained understanding of what my life is. And I, again, going back to our lives, our lives are not by chance. They're totally amazing. They can only be planned by a mastermind. And I call my mastermind God. I love that. We'll continue with this scene. Before we do, I want to remind everybody, we're speaking with Susan Berard Goldberg, Sue Goldberg. And the name of the book is My Soul's Journey, a wonderful book. I'll tell you what, um, it, it's only 62 pages yes, or so, yes. but as you can tell, um, the conversation around the subject matter and Sue's insight is what is absolutely fascinating. Uh, my name's Jim Derrick. This is Chapters Radio. You can find my podcast at chaptersradio.com. And importantly, if you are listening before Friday, uh, October 18th at Fatima Shrine, 7 p.m., Correct? That's the right time? Yes, yes. Sue is going to be signing this book and holding a talk about not only the near-death experience, which is kind of the lever in this book, but mm-hmm. it's the lever to a deeper understanding of who Sue is and, and how her life is the way it is and what the important touchstones along the way have been and how she's learned over time to not only process, but develop her faith around uh, how wonderful and amazing this life is. And Sue, you just said something that really really got to me Mm -hmm. and that and I'm going to paraphrase here and that is that life's pain is the way that we grow and learn the most about ourselves absolutely it's not in the great joy that we're learning no you it's great to experience we have the birth of a grandchild everyone's thrilled yes but when you're under the gun when you have you had an emotional breakdown or you're depressed or you're dealing with a traumatic life event that is where you're forced to go deep and examine who you are, where you've come from, where you'd like to go, and how this new event can reshape you. Absolutely. Yes, and I think I want to just add that I think one of the joys, and again I said the learning um, or the um, reinforcement you receive after having had a loss, it doesn't always come immediately. It usually doesn't. It's down the road. When some time has passed and you've had a chance to process what happened to you and what might be the ramifications or what have you, but one of the immediate gratifications, if I, it's kind of a poor way to put it, of having um, something happen to you. And in this case, I'm talking about my breakdown. 
mm-hmm. when I lost my pet, not to, oh, with my husband, when my first husband, when he passed, was the fact that you see the, 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 the greatness, the kindness, the love, the faith in people, in humanity. And that's something you learn or you can see right away as an immediate reinforcement that, yeah, I've gone through this loss. It's awful. I'm, I'm hurting so badly inside. You know, I don't want to wake up in the morning. But there are so many wonderful people out there and sometimes not always the people you'll expect. People come out of the woodwork and they want to embrace you. They want to do things for you. They encourage you to go on. Um, I always say God isn't on this earth, but we have each other. We have to do it for one another. And you see that during times of loss and trauma. One of the things I will talk about on on Friday the 18th, and I talk about in the book, um, is the fact that when you have a near-death experience, um, you have a precognitive events and um, certain things that will be with you the rest of your life. It doesn't end with that experience. And these things have happened to me all these years. Again, they would happen, and I'd say, what's going on? And then I'd say, just forget about it. And I would do the same thing, let it go and stop thinking about it. But again, when I realized I had a near-death experience and I started to have on occasion these precognitive events and um, certain things that have followed me all my life. Mm -hmm. For instance, someone said to me not long ago, you have a watch to match every outfit. You must spend a fortune on watches. And I said, actually, I buy the cheapest watches I can find because they don't last very long on me. We can all we all love to hear cool stories from the here from the from the other side or, you know, maybe to watch a a medium on TV, read people in the audience and tell them about their long lost brother. And that's it's kind of like that's that's sort of like um, a voyeur watching this. this, Yes. A magician in a way. Yes. But the context that you bring to this, which is. How has this been instructive in your life, in your faith journey? How has it been instructed on how you cope and deal with grief? Importantly, you said earlier that in the most painful moments in your life, you've done the biggest amount of growth. Absolutely. That, that you're, I can see it in your face. You're thankful for the pain. Yes. Okay. That's the message. And you're sharing your experience. And I think other people will listen and start to reexamine how they're processing grief, and how they treat pain in their lives. That, to me, is the gem of what you're talking about. And that's what you you. wanted to happen out of this book, isn't it? Absolutely. The main reason was I wanted it to help others. Yeah. That's, that was the, I wanted to help others who are going through really tough times or do not have the faith, perhaps, that would make their lives easier. So you've gotten you've 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 communicated that to me. I feel better having met you. I oh, thank I, I you, thank so, you much. so much for coming in again. My Soul's Journey. The author is Susan Barard Goldberg. My Soul's Journey available on Amazon.com. Do you have an email address? Yes, that you want I me do. To give? Okay. Sure, you can give it. It's Susan Barard B E R A R D at me m e dot com. Susan Barard at me m e. Dot com. And that's how you can get in touch with the author. Again, she's willing to come out and speak to groups. Uh, she'll certainly be able to put you in touch with the with the uh, book and where to purchase it. But I think importantly, she wouldn't mind a conversation about the subject at hand. And as you can hear, that would be well worth your while. So I want to thank my guest, Sue Berard Goldberg, for coming in today. My name's Jim Derrick. Thanks for listening to Chapters Radio, and I'll see you next week.